This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today. Um, I want to, to look at a passage of scripture, which maybe should have been our resurrection sermon. I don't know, but I preached what I felt like I was supposed to last week. So I'm going to preach another Easter sermon today, if that's okay. That okay with you? I want to look at this whole thought process of after the grave. After the grave, I want to show you some truths that are found in, in the short period of time after the grave that Jesus spent with his disciples. And I've got um, a little lengthy passage of scripture that I want to read to you, but I need to, to get through all of it so that we can get where we're going. So John chapter 20, somebody say that's a good gospel. John chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and I'm actually going to read through verse 28. So I told you it's quite a bit. I promise I'll try not to put you to sleep. If you stay awake through the scripture, I will be sure to keep you awake the rest of the sermon. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She stopped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. That's very important. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. And she turned to, uh, and, and Jesus spoke, and he said, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go and find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And verse 19 says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Somebody say locked doors. Behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. Then he breathed on them, I, I told you this earlier, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Poor guy. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the womb on his side. Eight days later, somebody say eight days. Poor guy. The disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Somebody say locked. But suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, this is so crazy because he basically regurgitates and quotes back exactly what Thomas said. He said, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer believe that's powerful i hadn't even seen that till right there my lord and my god thomas exclaimed then jesus told him you believe because you've seen me blessed are those who believe without seeing me there's three truths there's tons more but i only have time really to give you three today that i believe jesus has displayed to us in this short period of time after the grave. First of all, we've got to understand that what, what's actually taken place, I've read you enough, you can basically put it in context. Jesus has been crucified. He was put in the tomb. Uh, he has now raised from the, the dead. He's out of the tomb. John and Peter, excuse me, the beloved disciple, which we would assume to be John. He just don't want to call himself that in his own gospel. The one who Jesus loved like he didn't love the other 11. John and Peter run to the, the tomb and they're there because Mary and, and they've shown up early in the morning. He's not there. They go back. They tell John and they tell the other guys that they take off running and they walk in and they see the, the linen cloth laying there. Jesus isn't there. Mary comes back later and, and here she is and she is lost. And she said, I don't understand. And she turns around and looks and sees a man standing there who she believes to be the gardener. Something major takes place, though. Because he actually spoke. He said, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? I'm looking for my Lord. They've taken my Lord. And if you know where he's at, if you'll just tell me where he is, I'll go find him. He spoke, and she did not recognize him. You with me? But the moment he called her name... She knew who he was. Because when he said, Mary, she had to have clung to him in some way, shape, or form, whether she threw herself down on the ground, whether she locked her arms around him, whatever, because his response was, do not cling to me. So somehow, some way, whatever she did it, somehow she grabbed hold of him, and it's like, I'm not letting you go anymore, Jesus. You've got to stay here with me now. He said, lady, you can't cling to me. You've got to let go because I've not ascended to the Father. But there was something so special about when he called her name. And so my first thought today is he could very well be calling your name, but you haven't heard him. He could very well be calling your name, but you have not heard him. He's there. He's in the flesh. They, 
they, they, they, they somehow, some way, shape, or form, Mary looks at him and doesn't recognize him. But it's not until he says, Mary. Why did that make a difference? Because Mary knew Jesus' voice. She knew what it was like for him to call her name. He had come through a whole lot with Mary up to this point. He had saved her. He had forgiven her. He knew what, she knew what it was like for Jesus to call her name Mary. And I've thought about several situations in Scripture. First of all, in Genesis chapter 2, God had given Abraham the promised son that he, he wanted, and, and he had Isaac, and it, the f- promise of God was going to be fulfilled, and, and great things were going to take place. And then all of a sudden, God said, hey, that son that I've given you, go sacrifice him. And you know the story. I don't have to really tell you the story, but I want to because I love it. And see, Jesus, or God, has now instructed Abraham. So Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain. They're going up, and Isaac's like, I don't understand, Daddy. We've got fire. We have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide the sheep. He's going to provide the lamb. And they get to the top, and, and Abraham binds Isaac, and he lays him on the altar. And just as he draws back to sacrifice his son, An angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And in the calling of his name, in that instant, in that moment, God provided in the name calling. There's something special about name calling. You with me? I ain't talking about bad kind of name calling. I'm talking about when God calls your name. And it could very well be that in the situation of Abraham, God is doing his best to provide for you. He wants to give you everything that we need. He's trying to be our provision, and he's trying to call our name to be that provision, but we aren't hearing him call our name. And in that moment, Abraham, Abraham, he turns and looks, and there's the ram for the sacrifice. There's the provision. So then also we move on, and then... um, In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is tending the flock of the sheep. And and he's there hanging out on the mountain, and all of a sudden there's a bush that's burning but not being consumed. You know this story. And all of a sudden an angel of the Lord starts speaking, and Moses wants to draw closer to, to the bush, and he wants to see what's actually going on. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of this bush, an angel of the Lord speaks and says, Moses, Moses. And in that name calling was an instant calling of God and purpose on his life. So now we've got provision that was given in name calling. Now we have purpose or calling that was given in name calling because that was the time that he said, you need to take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy. And I'm going to use you to lead the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. I'm going to lead you to, I'm going to use you to lead them out of slavery, lead them out of bondage. They're going to be led out of Egypt. He called him by name. Somebody say by name. And then here's the struggle that most of us relate with. is actually young Samuel in Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's asleep in the temple where he's serving under Eli. And he's there and all of a sudden he hears his name called Samuel. So he goes running into Eli, the old man. He says, what you need, sir? He said, I didn't call your name. He said, okay. So he went back. He said, go back and get in your bed. He goes back to bed, and again, Samuel, he runs back in the room to Eli. Eli, yeah, what you need? 
I didn't call your name. He said, but God is calling you. He said, so next time he calls out your name, you answer and say, here I am, Lord, speak. So he goes back and he lays back down again, and all of a sudden, Samuel, he said, here I am, Lord, speak. And in that moment, something took place. Because that was the point that Samuel learned that what it sounded like for God to really call and what it sounded like for him to hear the voice of God calling his name. And in that moment, God spoke and he gave answers. And your Bible says that from that point forward, Samuel was blessed, he was anointed, he was gifted by God, and no word that came out of his mouth fell to the ground. That means he now had purpose, he was now blessed, he was now anointed. So in the name calling, we see provision, we see purpose, we see calling, and we see blessing and anointing. You with me? There was something special, and God is calling our name constantly in some way to give us something. He's wanting to pour something out on us, but so often we're not in tune enough to hear our name being called. Mary saw him, looked him in the eye, but it wasn't until he called her name that she recognized it was him. He's calling her name, but we haven't heard him. Secondly, he shows up in places where the door's locked. I like this one. They're hanging out in the house with the door locked because they're afraid and confused. They're lost. Their friend, their leader, their pastor, their mentor has just been killed. But he was supposed to be the everlasting life. He was supposed to be the one that would give them life. He was supposed to be the one that would live forever. And now here they are because they've preached this message because they followed him. They're, they're wanted. There's wanted posters up in the, in the post office, and, and they're, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of being killed themselves. And so they've locked themselves up in the room, and the word says that they were behind the locked door, and Jesus appeared. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus likes to show up in places that are locked up. Ask the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not the names that their mama gave them. Their mama gave them names that, that represented God, that represented who they were. They were Hananiah. They were Ishmael. They were uh, Azariah. They were names that glorified the Lord. And here, they've been trained, they've been educated, they've been lifted up to work in the king's court, and now all of a sudden, everybody's got to bow down to the statue. They say, we're not bowing down. King says, okay, well, you can burn, and you can be done. So he throws them in the furnace. You know this story. He turned the heat up. The guards that threw them in died. And they get in this, this hot, blazing furnace, what would seem to be a locked-up situation. You agree? It seems to be a situation, I think they had to have already accepted the fact, if we die, we die. If we go to be with the Father, we go to be with the Father. I'm a little confused right now that I'm in this fiery furnace for worshiping the Lord, but hey, I'm here. It's locked up. It's a hopeless situation. It just is what it is. But in that moment, the king looked and said, I don't understand. Didn't we put three boys in the furnace, but now there's a fourth one? And the fourth one appears to look like the sons of God. Because Jesus likes to show up in the places that are locked. You with me? 
It's just a couple chapters over in Daniel. I believe it's chapter 6 where Daniel has made his way up and, and he's interpreting dreams and he's doing great things. He's found favor with the king and these people don't like it. So they say, hey, Daniel's praying and he's not praying to you. He's praying to some other God. He's praying to his God. And they say, well, anybody that's going to pray to another God must be killed. So throw him into the lion's den. You with me? So they throw him in. The king really didn't like it because he liked Daniel. But they threw him in and he shut the, the stone and he put the, the stone over the den. And, and he just knew the next morning when he showed back up, Daniel was going to be devoured. But you know the story. When they rode the, they rolled the stone out of the way and they looked, Daniel's hanging out, relaxed, laid back on a line, hanging there with it for a pillow for his head and a pillow for his feet. And he's just chilling. He said, I don't understand. We threw you into a den with a bunch of hungry lions. And Daniel, I can just imagine this is my interpretation commentary of Mitchell. Said, now you don't understand. Jesus likes to show up in locked places. He likes to show up behind the rock when everybody seems to shut me out. Everybody seems to shut me down. I could have died in that moment. I could have been devoured by the lion. But that's not the way Jesus works. Jesus likes to show up in locked places when everything around me is dark, when everything around me is closing in, when there's the things around me should devour me that's when Jesus shows up ah. I told you last week we looked at the disciples in the gospel of John my chapters are all running together and I don't feel like looking at my notes he's fed the people he sends the disciples off on the sea and they get out in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the sea, they're crossing, lake, whatever you want to call it. The storm rolls in, and they're confined by their boat. Where are you safer, in the water or in the boat? We would think the boat, right? They're confined by their situation. They're locked in. It's dark. Why in the world would Jesus have sent us out here to let us get beat and battered on the... Why? Where's he at, by the way? Peter, you, you seen Jesus? But in that locked up situation when they're confused and they're trying to figure out what in the world's going to take place, Jesus comes walking along the water. How you fellas doing tonight? I'm going to get in your boat if you don't mind. And the moment that he got in the boat, the moment he stepped into that locked up, confined space, the moment he got into that situation, the boat was immediately on the other side because Jesus likes to show up where the doors are locked. Huh. That's good. He's calling our name and we're not hearing him. He's showing up in the locked spaces. And thirdly, and lastly, I told you this is simple. He shows up when it makes the biggest impact. He shows up when it makes the big. Can you imagine? To our knowledge, there were there were ten disciples hanging out in the room. When Jesus shows up the first time, Judas is already gone. And Thomas, called the twin, is nowhere to be found. I don't know what Thomas's deal was. I don't know if he was an emotional roller coaster. I don't know if he didn't want to be with his brothers. I don't know if he dealt with things in isolation like some of us do. I don't really know what his deal was. But for some reason, he won't with everybody else like he should have been. He was in his own, I, I believe, 
Told you, Mitchell Commentary 101. I believe he was in his own feeling somewhere. I believe he was upset. He was uptight. And he said, I don't want nothing to do with them guys right now. Here's the problem. When we disconnect ourselves from the brothers and sisters around us, we miss out on the opportunity to see Jesus. I don't know why he won't there. But he won't there. And so he shows back up and they start telling him, hey, we saw Jesus. I almost said it like us Johnston County, Harnett County boys would say. He said, I don't believe you. Baloney. Bull. I don't believe that. He said, until I see it myself, and specifically until I put my finger into the holes in his hand, and until I place my hand in his side, I don't believe that he's actually alive. That's why I think he was in his feelings somewhere. He's messed up. He's dealing with this in his own way because we all deal with things in our own way. And Jesus shows up eight days later. Can you imagine what those eight days were like for Thomas? Probably similar to the four days for Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. And Jesus shows up, and they're like, seriously? Now you choose to show up? He's been dead four days. Why are you coming around now? He said his sickness is not going to end in death, but it's actually going to be so that the glory of God can be seen. That's in verse 4. He said, roll that stone away. They said, Jesus, it stinks. There's a stench to him at this point. Four days he's been dead. He started rotting, Jesus. You're late. You should have been here a long time ago, Jesus. You should have been here when he was sick, when he was bound to the bed, when he was bedridden. You should have been here then, Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus just shaking his head. Father, you always hear me. But I'm praying this out loud so everybody standing around can actually realize I am who you say I am. And you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Lazarus, get up and come out the grave. Had he shown up when Lazarus was sick and healed him, it would have been all good job, Jesus. Pat on the back, you healed the sick man. I'm not preaching about a sick man being healed today. I'm talking about a man that had been dead, 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 stinking dead for four days. And that's the man that Jesus showed up. It was late. I'm sorry it was late, but that was the moment that it could have the most impact because the glory of God was seen. And here we are thousands of years later, and I'm preaching again over and over. And I'll keep preaching on the death and the resurrection of Lazarus because Jesus raised the dead man which was a representation of what he was going to do to himself he said I have the power to die and I've got the power to be raised he shows up when he can make the most impact and then those of you ladies that heard Rhonda Holland's message she used the man 
of Acts chapter 3. Men, you weren't there. Let me tell you about it. There's a man in Acts chapter 3 who had been a lame beggar sitting beside the gate called Beautiful for years since birth, the Bible says. And if you read on in, in chapter 4, verse 22, it says that it had, for more than 40 years he had been there beside the gate. That means Jesus had passed him. That means every one of the disciples had passed him over and over and over going into the, into the temple to pray. Why had he never been healed before? Why? It wasn't until after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the, the disciples and empowered them to do ministry. And it wasn't until Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them the authority. And Jesus is there now. And Peter and John are walking by this man. Jesus never healed him. Why? That would have been a great story. Another notch in Jesus' belt. He didn't heal him. Peter and John are walking by. The man's like, hey, you got some spare change? Nope. Look me in the eye, son. I ain't got no gold and I ain't got no silver, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Get up and walk. I've got life. I've got resurrection power inside of me. I've got healing power inside of me. You know what happened? This is what takes place. Now, after this, what, what happened was the impact came because Jesus showed up when Jesus needed to show up. The impact was Peter then had an opportunity to get on a platform and preach the greatest sermon ever preached, and 5,000-plus people were added to the church because the man wasn't healed earlier. Eight flipping days Thomas has waited I've had times in my life I sit back and think I missed it that train's already left the station I missed it I missed my shot I miss my opportunity. I miss following the will of God. I missed it. Eight days. Thomas sat and wondered, would he ever really see Jesus? What if they're right? I don't believe them. What if they did see Jesus and I didn't get to see Jesus? What if I don't ever get to see Jesus? Eight days. Can you imagine? It's not, Thomas, in eight days I'll be back to see you. No. You missed it, son. Peter said, you snooze, you lose. And eight days later, when they're behind locked doors again, Jesus walks in the room. And Thomas got something that nobody else got huh, because it made the most impact. Thomas, for some reason, was different than the rest of the guys. Thomas said, I need to stick my finger in the scars. I need my hand to be placed in his side in order for me to believe. 
And so in order for Thomas to get what Thomas needed, it had to have been eight days later. There had to have been a delay. There had to have been this time to pass because that was when it was going to make the most impact. And Jesus walks in, peace be with you, Thomas. Put your finger right here. Put your hand right here on my side because that's exactly what you need in this moment. See, the thing is, Jesus is ready to give us exactly what we need in that moment. But he knows that he is not right now. It's not in this moment that I need it. It's going to take take place down the road. It might take place today, later today. It might be tomorrow. It might be five years from now. God knows so much better than I do what the impact will be of the blessing that he puts on my life. I'm not ready for the blessing that's coming to me in five years. I don't have the the platform. It's not about, don't mishear me. It's not about the number of people and the popularity. It, there's nothing like that. The person that I'm supposed there might be one. The person that I'm supposed to reach with the blessing that's going to come to me in five years, that, I'm, not, I'm not even ready. The relationship's not lined up yet for me to reach that person. So I don't need the blessing right now. I need the blessing when it can make the most impact. He's calling our name and we've yet to hear him. Because we've not shut up long enough to learn our own name being called by Jesus. We're missing provision. We're missing purpose. We're missing calling. Because we're not hearing the name. There's hope because he does show up in the locked rooms. What's so cool about that to me? This is like the little add on the footnote of the sermon. Is because when he shows up in those locked situations, when he shows up in those locked rooms, all he says is, peace be with you. You know why he can say peace be with you? Because <laughs> in the middle of the lion's den, in the middle of the fiery furnace, in the middle of that locked up situation, in the middle of that storm that's raging all around us when we don't have a clue whether we're coming or going, in the middle of all of that, when Jesus steps into the room, actually peace itself just literally stepped into the room. It's not only Jesus. It's not only the helper. It's not only the one that's going to be provision. It's not only the one that has the answers. He himself is peace, and peace steps into the room. That's the first thing he says. Peace be with you. Peace, I am with you. Peace is with you because I'm in the room. Peace is in the room. He goes into the locked doors. And unfortunately, for some of us impatient people that don't like to wait, He's going to wait for his timing, which provides the greatest impact. And if I'm walking according to the will of God, and if I'm walking according to this word, if I'm walking under the spirit of God, and I'm striving to be who and what he wants me to be, then I can learn to be content in the eight days of waiting. I can learn to be content in the four days of funeral procession. I can learn to be content in the 40 years 
of begging for mercy. I wonder today whose name he's calling, but we've not stopped to listen. We're looking. We're trying to see, but we just walked through this entire sermon series about an unseen love. It's not always visible. Mary looked right at him and didn't recognize him. But when he called her name, she identified with who he was. I wonder if there's some of us in the room today that we need to realign our ears and we need to get back to a place where we're spending time in prayer and we're reading the word and where we're listening, we're feeling, we're, we're waiting for God to call our name and we're, we're sitting absorbed and trying to wait on him to call our name because that's how he wants to give us provision and calling and purpose today. Be encouraged in that locked confined space. Jesus is walking into the room. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's going to show up in those locked, confined spaces. Whatever the situation is going on in your family, in your marriage, in your, in your finances, in your health, whatever the locked up situation is, whatever doesn't make a lot of sense, Jesus is showing up in the locked, tight spaces. And I promise, whether it be right now, whether it be next week, whether it be 10 years from now, his promises are true and his blessings on the way. Father, I love you. I thank you for this beautiful time. Holy Spirit, thank you for resting on us today. Thank you for moving in our midst. Jesus, thank you for giving your life so that I might have freedom, that I might have grace. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that your people would be blessed today. Lord, that you would bless them and keep them, God. Let your face shine on them. Give them peace. Turn your countenance toward them, God. Give them grace in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Bring us back again. In Jesus' name, amen.